Genesis chapter number 45. If you're there, will you shout amen? amen. You know that today is our final Sunday. This is week number six in six weeks that we've been studying through uh, the book of Genesis and sort of skipping across the mountain peaks and hitting the highlights. I mean, there are 50 chapters in Genesis, right? So, so six weeks, there's no way that we could do it justice. But today, we're going to conclude this Origins series. Next Sunday, by the way, we're going to begin a brand new teaching series called When the Church Comes Together. And wonderful things happen when the body of Christ comes together to do the work of the gospel. So you be here uh, beginning next Sunday for that series. But today we're wrapping up this series, Origins. Over the last five Sundays, we have considered the origin of, uh, of a few very important things. In the beginning, we talked about uh, the origin of the heavens and the earth, the origin of the universe. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Week number two, we talked about the origin of our hope as we considered the flood story. And really, the flood story is not a great story of hope until you get to the end of the flood story, right? Where you have the waters receding and the rainbow promise that God would never do it again. And he promised us the hope of redemption. Um, we uh, then talked about the origin of the nations. Where did the nations of the earth come from? And we considered uh, the uh, Tower of Babel and God's confusion, confusion and confounding of the languages. Week four, we talked about the origin of Israel. Where did Israel come from? We discovered the Abrahamic covenant. And then week five, last week, we talked about the origin of the Messiah as we studied the Isaac story. Today we're going to conclude the series as we talk about the origin of redemption. The origin of redemption. Let me take a quiz, or or a survey I should say, not a quiz. Um, Are you glad that you've been redeemed? If you are, shout amen. Amen. I'm glad I'm redeemed. Aren't there some great songs about how glad we are we're redeemed? There's an old hymn, the the church I got saved in, we sang it every week almost, uh, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. It's a great old hymn. Big Daddy Weave, he's glad he's redeemed, and many of you uh, are glad that he sings that song. We're glad we're redeemed. But do you know what redeemed means? Do you know what it means to be redeemed? Here's a good definition. Jot it down somewhere in your notes. Redemption is the act of reclaiming something or someone who was lost by paying a ransom for their return. I like that definition. It has a lot of R words in it. It is the act of reclaiming something or someone who was lost by paying a ransom for their return. That is a strict definition of redemption. And I should tell you that redemption, while, as we'll learn in just a minute, People, men, women, can be redeemers. We can redeem things or we can redeem uh, people from certain situations. Um, Redemption is a divine concept. Uh, Redemption is a divine construct. It is God's idea. In fact, the very first time that you find the word redeem or redeemer or redemption in the Bible is in fact in the book of Genesis. Not in chapter 45, but just a couple of pages forward. Go to chapter 48. Let me show it to you. Genesis chapter number 48. And look at verses 15 and 16. Here's the very first mention of of a redeemer uh, in the Bible. Verse 15 says, and he, this is Jacob, 
And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, did walk. Stop right there. I want every father on both campuses to listen to me. May it be said of every one of us dads that, when, that, that, that our children would be able to say, God, before whom my father walked. May our children know that we, imperfect in so many ways, that we sought to walk with God. That's what Jacob is saying. God, before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, did walk. The God which fed me all my life, uh, all my life long unto this day. The angel which, you see the word? redeemed me from all evil. He calls God, he speaks of God as an angel here. And God, in fact, had appeared to him as an angel. But he's referring to God who had redeemed him from all evil. God is called a redeemer in Genesis chapter number 48. Let me read to you one other passage that speaks of redemption from the book of Psalms. You can turn if you'd like to, but at least make a note Uh, Somewhere in your notes, Psalm 103 and verse number 1. Many of you will know these verses. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all thine iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who, here's the word, who redeems your life from destruction, and crowns you with loving kindness and with tender mercies. The psalmist in Psalm 103 affirms the kindness, the mercy, the active um, uh, grace of a God who is our Redeemer. He benefits us. He forgives us. He heals us. He redeems us from destruction. He crowns us with loving kindness. He covers us with his tender mercy. He is our Redeemer. Now, the word that's translated both in Genesis 48 and in Psalm 103, the word that's translated redeemer or redeems um, is the word, the Hebrew word goel, goel. And it simply speaks of the one who is doing the redeeming. It is the redeemer himself. The word is used over a hundred times in the Old Testament, and almost every time it is referring to God. Even though a man, a woman can redeem something or someone, but this word is used primarily in the Bible, not about people redeeming, but about God redeeming people. So God redeems Jacob, as, uh, as Genesis 48 says. God redeemed the psalmist, as Psalm 103 celebrated. There's another example in the Old Testament where the Bible speaks about God's redeeming. And it has to do with his redemption of the nation of Israel out of uh, Egyptian bondage. Listen to Exodus chapter 6 and verse 6. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will rid you out of their bondage. I will, say the word with me, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And so over and over again, be it Jacob, be it the psalmist, be it Israel coming out of Egypt, the Bible tells us of this divine construct of our God 
where he is our redeemer. He, he redeems us from brokenness. He redeems us from lostness. He redeems us out of destruction. He redeems us from bondage. He, he is our redeemer. Now, God is so committed to this idea of redemption. He, he's so committed to this divine idea that, that people ought to be able to be redeemed that he even formulated through his word a a method or a plan whereby people could do the redeeming of other people. Now, of course, I don't mean in a spiritual or a salvific sense, an eternal sense, but where, he could re- where people could redeem others from difficult situations. Make a note somewhere. Don't go read it now. But Leviticus 25 is the chapter where you will find this law of redemption. Now, now, essentially, here's what Leviticus 25 says. Uh, It says that if someone in Israel found themselves in a difficult situation, let me give you an example. Let's say that you are a Jewish person living uh, in the time of uh, Moses and the law, and you're struggling financially, and you can't pay your bills. And so in those days, um, if you couldn't pay your bills, it wasn't just that that, that the bill collector called or your credit score got damaged. It was that they would come get you. And they would enslave you. You would be conscripted into slavery and by your service over years or sometimes by the service of your children over many years, your debt would be paid. Well, if that happened to you, you would, according to Leviticus 25, have the potential that somebody might redeem you. They could get you back bring you out of that slavery. Does that make sense to you? Or let's say that you, you needed to sell your home. You didn't have enough money, and so you sold your property. And that property had been your grandfather's property and your, and your, and your father's property. Now it came to you, but in desperation you had to sell it, so it left the family. Well, according to Leviticus 25, somebody could redeem. So that the family wouldn't lose the property, somebody could redeem that property. This is the method that God established in Leviticus 25, the law of redemption for property or people. But when you go read Leviticus 25, you'll discover that that there are three rules that are are applied to any redeemer or any goel. In other words, for someone to be the redeemer of your property or of your person, they must meet these three requirements. Number one, it must be a relative of yours. Not just anybody could be a redeemer. It must be a brother or some other kinsman, a near relative uh, could redeem. So the reason it had to be a near relative so would be so that this would not become an investment opportunity for someone who just saw a good deal and they could get possession of that property. No, it had to come back into the family. So, so they had to be a relative. Number two, uh, the redeemer or the goel had to be someone, a relative who had the ability, that is they had the, the wherewithal, the wealth, and they were then willing to invest their wealth to redeem your property or, or your person. Um, no family member could be required to redeem another family member. It had to be a, an act of willing uh, grace whereby they would become your redeemer. And then thirdly, and this goes beyond the actual act of redemption, this goel or this redeemer had to be a person who was willing 
to protect the, the, the family, the person, the property going forward. In other words, they couldn't redeem it and then it just go right back into slavery or leave the family again. They had to be a, a relative who was willing and able to redeem it and then they had to guard it or protect that property or that person going forward. The point being that once the property was redeemed, that redeemer promised ongoing protection, ongoing redemption. Uh, now, by the way, this idea, it's interesting too, that this idea of, of protecting a person or a property or a family generated, it gave, it gave um, rise to the practice of leveret marriage. Do, do you know what leveret marriage is? Um, leveret marriage is when you have a, a married couple and the husband dies uh, and, and leaves no children, specifically no sons, then leveret marriage would say that a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer, a brother or other near kinsman to the one who died would step into his place and would marry his widow. And then they would have children for the express purpose that the name of the deceased brother would not, would not perish, that the family name would go on. It's called leveret marriage. Now, you know about this if you've read your Old Testament. Think Boaz and Ruth. That's exactly what happened in the book of Ruth, where uh, Ruth's husband, um, uh, one of Naomi's sons, had died, and Boaz, a near kinsman, redeemed her, married her, uh, preserved her property, the family property, and more importantly, uh, had a son with her. And Ruth and Boaz had a son whose name was Obed. And then Obed grew up and got married and had a son whose name was Jesse. And then Jesse grew up and had a son and his name was, do you know, David. you got it, David, King David, who became the greatest king in Israel's history and, uh, and the prototype of the coming Messiah. All of that lineage of Jesus was generated by leveret marriage by this law of redemption. Now, all of that to say that, that God's heart for redemption in the Old Testament, redeeming people, redeeming property, redeeming family names, all of that is, is a beautiful illustration. It reveals the heart of God, and it lays the foundation for the work of redemption that is ours through Jesus Christ. For us, redemption is not about a piece of property, amen? It's not even about a life of slavery. It's not about leveret marriage, but for us, redemption is about the forgiveness of sin and an eternal relationship with God Almighty that we could have no other way. Redemption is God's construct. It's his idea. But in the Old Testament, it simply provides the foundation for the greatest truth which is not about Jacob or Boaz or any of the other great stories of the Old Testament. It's about Jesus Christ. Here it is. Put it down somewhere in your notes. Christ is our Redeemer. Amen? Christ is our Redeemer. Now, by the way, if you think about the, the law of the Redeemer in Leviticus 25, those three commands that a Redeemer must be a near kinsman, did you, if y'all are listening, say amen. 
Did you know that Jesus became our near kinsman when he left heaven and robed himself in flesh? He came and became like us. He became our near kinsman. Why? So that he could redeem us. And a kinsman has to be a relative, a near relative, who has the ability and is willing to redeem us. And the Bible says that Jesus was able to redeem us because of his wealth. Well, what, the wealth of heaven like the gold and silver or the riches in heaven? No, because of the wealth of his righteousness. He was perfectly righteous. He had the ability to save us through his righteousness and he was willing. No man takes my life. He said, I willingly, freely lay it down. He was a near kinsman who was willing and able to redeem us. And a willing and able redeemer must then protect the redeemed one throughout and into the future. And the Bible says that he ever lives to make intercession for us. He is our great high priest in heaven. Jesus is the perfect redeemer. Amen. Willing and able, a near kinsman who will protect us and keep us redeemed forever. That's what it's about. That's what all of the Old Testament idea and construct of, of redemption is about. It is that you and I might be redeemed by the grace of Jesus. And the Bible says this over and over. Now, we're going to get to Genesis 45, I promise, in just a second. But let me, let me ask you to turn, first of all, really quickly, I do want you to turn to this, Colossians in the New Testament. Because I want you to see this. It's important that we understand this, this idea of redemption in Christ. I mean, Colossians chapter 1, and look at verse number 12. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. So Colossians is right after Philippians, right after... Ephesians, right after Galatians, Romans, Corinthians. So just you'll, you'll find Colossians there in the epistles. Colossians 1 and verse 12 it says, We are giving thanks unto the Father who has made us worthy to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. That's a mouthful. Here's what he says. Well, in fact, the next verse says, verse 13 says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. He says there's a kingdom of darkness, there's a kingdom of light. There's an eternal death, darkness. There's an eternal life, light. There's an eternal separation from God in outer darkness. There's an eternal presence with God in the light of his life. He says in verse 13, through Christ our Redeemer, we have been carried, we've been translated out of darkness and put in this kingdom of light. But it's not just that we've been put there and that we're the shamed ones over in the corner. Verse 12, we give thanks to the Father because he has made us worthy. That's what verse 12 means in the King James when it says made us meet. He has made us worthy to partake of his eternal inheritance with all the saints in the light. Listen, listen, when we get to heaven redeemed by Christ, we will not be hanging out over in the corner somewhere going, I'm so ashamed. I just, I, I shouldn't be here. I'm just the one who's hiding out in the shadows. You will only be there if you have been made worthy to be there and you are made worthy by the redemption that is offered you in Jesus Christ. Not by what you do, but by what Christ has done for you. Do you understand? It makes you worthy. Not, not worthy in your own self, not that you're, anybody in heaven pats themselves on the back. We don't, but we have been made worthy by his work. So we give thanks to him that he's made us worthy by delivering us out of the kingdom of darkness, translating us into the kingdom 
of his dear son, in whom, in his dear son, we have, say the word, redemption. How? Through his blood, even the forgiveness of our sins. This is what Christ has done. And here's what I want you to know, that this can be your story. This worthy to be found in heaven, this dwelling forever in eternal light, this being forgiven of all of your sins, no matter your past, no matter your history, no matter the great debt of sin that you have incurred that you could never pay, no matter what you've lost, it can all be redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the story of redemption. And I want you to know that all people are redeemable. Everyone is redeemable. I'm redeemable. You are redeemable. The most evil person we could ever imagine, those people are redeemable. And in Genesis chapter number 45, Joseph's brothers are redeemable. And we're going to learn about the origin of our redemption by looking at the story of Joseph's brothers. Let me take you back to Genesis 45. We're going to read the text. Let me set the scene for you just before we do. Do you know who Joseph is? I haven't even introduced him to you yet. You know Joseph, don't you? Joseph is the great-grandson of Abraham. He's the grandson of Isaac, so he is the son of Jacob. Now, you remember these patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel, uh, his 12 sons then became the 12 tribes. It is from Jacob that the nation of Israel uh, was born. Joseph is a, a son, in fact, the next to the youngest, next to the last son of, uh, of Jacob. Uh, through, a, through a series of divine appointments, uh, a series of divine blessings. When you arrive in Genesis 45, Joseph has been promoted to the vice regent in all the land of Egypt, the great Egyptian empire, really the, the kingdom of the world in those days. Uh, Joseph is number two uh, in that kingdom. He is vice Pharaoh, uh, a place of, of untold power and wealth and royalty that Joseph had been promoted to. Uh, the Bible tells us in Genesis 41 that he is pro promoted to that place. I might just read it to you quickly. Genesis 41, verse 40. Uh, Pharaoh speaking to Joseph, you shall be over my house and according to your word shall all my people be ruled. Only uh, on the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. We won't walk through all of how that occurred. You, you know the story, many of you do. Through God's divine placement, he, he takes this great and, and powerful position. Um, his brothers, his 10 brothers, uh, as you come to Genesis uh, 39, 40, 41, 42, uh, 43, his brothers um, appear before him to buy corn or grain. Unbeknownst to them, they don't know that it's him. They haven't seen him in over two decades. They don't know that he's the vice pharaoh of the world. 
and they come before him to buy some corn. He recognizes them. Of course, they don't recognize him. After some back and forth, Joseph reveals his identity to them and redeems them. And Joseph's redemption of his family is a, is a brilliant illustration of our redemption through Jesus. Let's read it. Genesis 45, beginning in verse number 1. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all of them that stood by him. And he cried, calls every man to go out from me. Get out of here. All of the servants were told to leave. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brothers. And he wept aloud. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard his weeping. And Joseph said unto his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father yet live? By the way, do you notice his very first question is, how's daddy? Is is my father alive? His brothers couldn't answer him. They didn't say a word. for They were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brothers, come, come, come near to me. And they came near. And he said, I am. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, do not be grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me here, for God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years more in the which there shall be neither earring nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Now, I might just stop and insert at the end of verse number seven that you and I can live with the same kind of confidence that Joseph is demonstrating here when he says, though what happened in my life was terrible and though what you did to me was unfair and and, and evil, God is still sovereign over every circumstance of my life. If you believe that, say amen. And there are plenty of times we walk through difficulties and we go through circumstances and they make no sense at all. And in fact, not only do they seem not right, they seem absolutely wrong. And yet we can know that our God knows and he will, by his grace, use all things for his glory. Verse 8, so now it was not you that sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Haste, hurry, go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry, and you shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near unto me. You and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. And there in the land of Goshen will I nourish you. For there are yet five years of famine. Come down and live here lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. And behold, your eyes see. The eyes of my brother Benjamin that he sees that it is my mouth that is speaking unto you. And you shall tell my father of all of my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen. And you shall haste and bring down my father. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and he wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed 
all of his brothers, and he wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. Don't you love the story of Joseph? It's an incredible story of redemption. Let's go through it quickly. Begin with me by jotting down somewhere the hard truth. It is the sin that separated their family. The sin that had separated their family. Verses 3 and 4, Joseph says twice to his 11 brothers who are standing in front of him. Verse number 3, I am Joseph. He reiterates that fact in verse number four when he says it again, I am Joseph, your brother. I am Joseph, clarifying point, I am Joseph, your brother. And then he gives one other clarifying point that we'll talk about in just a second. But the point is, when he says, I am Joseph, your brother, I am Joseph, your brother, these five words struck terror in the heart of these of these brothers of his. Because with those five words, I am Joseph, your brother, they were confronted with what they were certain they would never be confronted with. And that is the fact of their previous sin, their crime against Joseph when he was only 17 years old, some 22 years previous to this. Notice verse number three, when they hear these words, I am Joseph, your brother, verse number three says, they were troubled. Well, look at your neighbor and say, they ought to be. (laughs) They ought to be. Big time trouble, man. They were troubled when they realized they're standing in front of Joseph. And not only is it Joseph, he's no longer the 17-year-old cocky kid that they threw in a pit all those years before, but this is Joseph, the vice president of the world, vice regent of the empire of Egypt. And they're scared to death. They're, they're trembling. The word means they're, they're, they're literally frozen with fear. Now, I don't, I don't want to presume that all of you would understand why. Maybe you don't know fully the story of Joseph. What had they done to him? Why would they be so afraid now seeing him as such a powerful person? Well, you get some indication of it in verse number four when he says, I am Joseph, verse three, verse four, I am Joseph, your brother, clarifying point. Third clarifying point, verse four, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. That's what they did. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egyptian slavery. Turn back to chapter 37. Watch what happens 22 years before Genesis 45, Joseph is 17 years old. And Joseph is the favorite son of his father, Jacob. Uh, You know the story, don't you, of Jacob's favor being shown to Joseph in the gift of the coat or the robe of many colors, very expensive. This would have been the, like, like getting you know, uh, one of your children the most expensive Nike shoes in the store and taking your other kids to the discount store and buying them some canvas off-brand kids or something. It was kind of what happened. Joseph was given the best and his brothers weren't. And they were jealous of him and Joseph milked that for everything it was worth because most 17-year-olds are a bit cocky and don't have a lot of wisdom. Can I get a witness from a mama or a daddy in the room? You remember how smart you were when you were 17? 
and how dumb your parents were. I remember that. My mother didn't know anything. Now, she's here today. She's a whole lot smarter now that I'm 50, in my 50s. Not the way 17-year-olds are. Well, it created a lot of tension in the family. Look at Genesis 37 and verse number 8. Or actually, verse number 4. Genesis 37, verse 4 says, They, these are his brothers, they hated him. And they could not speak peaceably to him. Verse number 8 says, they hated him yet the more. Verse number 11 of chapter 37 says, they envied him. It means they seethed with jealous rage. Verse number 18 says, they conspired together to murder him. Verse number 28 says, they sold him into slavery. Rather than killing him, they decided it would be better to get some money for him. Rather than just leaving him dead, they get nothing for that. Now they can sell him and, uh, and they can uh, get some money. So verse number 28, they sold him into slavery. Well, this was their crime. This was the sin that they had committed against him. They had gone on with their lives as he had been sold off into slavery in Egypt 22 years previously, and now they stand before him and he is a man of great power. You can understand how they are trembling when they discover that he is, in fact, alive. And by the way, do you know that all of us are in the exact same condition in relationship to God as these brothers were to Joseph? Without the grace of Jesus, without being redeemed, we stand before God having sinned against him greatly and he is the judge of all the earth. And just like them, we should be terrified in his presence because of our sin. Well, in Genesis 45, he says, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery. That's the sin that separated their family. Notice back in chapter number 45, Joseph's power, though, to overcome their offense. Joseph's power to overcome their offense. Do you remember those three requirements of Redeemer from Leviticus 25? It must be a relative. You, no one could redeem another unless it was a near kinsman, a relative. Well, verse number four of chapter 45, Joseph meets that requirement. I am your brother. So as their brother, he has the power, he is in a position to redeem them. The second requirement of a redeemer, of a goel, is that he must be willing and able to redeem. Well, look at chapter 45, verses 8 and 9. God has made me a father to Pharaoh. I am Lord over all his house. I am a ruler throughout all of Egypt. Verse number 9, I am the Lord of all of Egypt. He's their brother, he has the ability and the wealth, the willingness and the ability to redeem them. And then the third requirement of a redeemer is that he must be a protector and a provider of the family then going forward. Well, is Joseph willing to do that? Look at verses 10 and 11. He says in verse 10, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen. Go get my father, bring him. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near unto me. Bring your children and your grandchildren and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. And in verse number 11, I will nourish you. They had committed sins. They had committed crimes against him. They were the ones who had committed such great sin and now he stands before them, a near kinsman, willing and able, with all of the wealth required, with the willingness and the desire and the willingness to preserve them going 
forward. He had the power. Everybody say the word power. He had it. He had the power to redeem them. You know that for all of us, I'm sure this is true, for all of us, to some degree, to varying degrees, and some it's some family situations it's really, really bad, and others it's just a little bit bad. But in every single family, there is some degree of betrayal. There's some element of disappointment or bitterness or sin against one another. It's true of every family because every family is made up of people. And here's what I want you to know, that like Joseph, we have the power to redeem those relationships in our family. We at least have the power to to extend the offer of redemption. We have the power to act redemptively. Joseph had a decision to make. Could he, would he be redemptive toward his brothers or would he simply send them home to starve or even execute them on the spot? And he acted redemptively. You have the power. In a broken family relationship where someone in your family has sinned against you, has disappointed, even betrayed you, you have the power to act redemptively. And in fact, this is what Jesus has done for us, that he has acted redemptively toward us. Their sin separated them, but Joseph exercised his power to overcome their offenses. Finally, what you see, and again, this is this powerful illustration of redemption that is ours, but in Joseph's story, you see the beautiful reunion that occurs as a result of their redemption, the beautiful reunion of redemption. Can you imagine this moment? We read the text earlier in chapter number 45 when Joseph, weeping, he, he, he can't control himself anymore. Don't you hate that moment when you're trying not to cry and you can't help it? He just got trembling to hold it back. And he says, get out of here. All you people get out of here. And he sends all his servants out. And now it's just him and his brothers. And he's just weeping. Just, just I mean, ugly crying. He's, I'm Joseph, your brother. And there's that moment when they don't know if they're going to be judged or if they're going to be redeemed. And when he offers them redemption... There's this beautiful reunion happens. Now imagine this, 22 years ago, these 10 brothers sat outside of a pit where they had thrown Joseph, their 17-year-old kid brother. While he weeps and cries out to them, they eat their lunch. That's what Genesis tells us. They have lunch while he cries out to them. They go on about their lives, counting their silver as he's carted off in, a, in, a, in a, a cage, in chains, to be a slave in Egypt. And they remain silent while their father grieved himself nearly to death over the loss of his son who he thought was dead. Now I would suggest to you that these ten brothers deserved nothing less than the fierce, furious revenge and retribution Of King Joseph. But what they got was redemption. And their fear and their and what they deserved translated into weeping and embracing and and speaking, talking. Look at verse number 14. He fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and he wept, and he Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all of his brothers and he wept upon them. So there's 
They're, they're crying together. They're rejoicing together. They're, they're kissing. He's hugging them and kissing them. And verse 15 says, and after this, his brothers talked with him. They couldn't talk back in verses 3 and 4. I'm your brother Joseph, he'd be slowed into slavery. They couldn't say a word. But now after being redeemed, the, the fear is gone. And they have such sweet fellowship with him. Love Duns, I want you to know we all deserve the same thing. Every one of us deserve nothing short of the fierce and furious wrath of Almighty God. Our sins toward God are far greater than these brothers' sins toward Joseph. You say, how could that be? I've never, I've never thrown anybody in a pit. I've never sold anybody into slavery. I've never, I've never hidden a lie from my parents, letting them think their, their child was dead. I've never done anything like that. But you have sinned against a far greater character than, than they did. In fact, the ill and the evil and the fallenness in their heart that motivated their actions, the hatred, the self-righteousness, the, the self-promotion that motivated all of their actions toward Joseph is the same kind of sin that resides in our heart that motivates all of our sin toward God. And just like them, we deserve nothing but the fierce and furious wrath of Almighty God. But in Christ, he offers us redemption. And just like they stood before Joseph in Genesis 45, one day we will stand before God, redeemed. Listen to what Revelation 21 says in verses 3 through 5. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Men who should be banished. Men who should be cast into outer darkness. Rather, God sets his tent up with them. God dwells with them. He will dwell with them and shall, they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Joseph took 10 brothers and all of their family members who deserved to starve in Canaan in the five remaining years of famine and he brought them near. He forgave their sin. He provided them a home. He gave them everything that they needed. He talked with them. He wept with them. He kissed them and they were redeemed. And you are looking at a man who one day for all eternity will enjoy that exact same kind of redemptive reward. Because of the work of my Joseph. Joseph the greater. Jesus our redeemer. Amen. Have you been redeemed? That's my question. Are you redeemed? And if you are, shout it from the mountaintops. If you are, extend it to others. If you are Live like you have been and press toward the day when you will stand before Jesus and you will be fully in that moment accepted in the beloved, made worthy, as Colossians says, to be in his presence. And if you haven't, then find that redemption today in Jesus. Let's pray together.